Good morning, family. So why don't we uh, go to the Lord as we come to the Word, and before we do so, we'll just take a few family matters to Him. Father, we're so grateful for Your care for us. Sometimes You work directly and supernaturally in ministering to us, and sometimes You work, often You work through the hands of people. So I thank You for the body, and I thank You that uh, this is a, a caring group of folks, and uh, I, I thank you for their care for our family and for the Fisher family and for the Kirk family. Lord, I pray that you would increase our um, our love for one another and our ministry to one another and as well to those outside of our church family that we might exhibit the love of Christ. Lord God, we we think this morning as we uh, begin a month where we uh, remind ourselves of the mission that You've given us and the opportunity to participate and partner in the mission of what You're doing around the world. Uh, Lord, we pray that You would continue to build on our heart a um, uh, not only a concern for, but an involvement in all that You are doing. Father, this morning we also uh, just pray for our nation. Over the last months, we've seen lots of division and uh, anger and conflict among people in our land. Lord, we pray for, for grace. We pray for healing. We pray for our leaders. Your Word calls for us to pray for kings and all in authority. Lord, we ask Your grace and blessing upon our President and those in Congress and, uh, and local leadership as well. Lord, we ask that You would, above all, that You would bring our leaders into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That they might then have the wisdom to govern well and might live rightly in relation with You. That we might see revival in our land. So Lord, we um, now as we come to Your Word, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that You would teach us through it and that You would change us through its work in our hearts. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul was unquestionably a key figure, if not the key figure next to Jesus in the spread and in the establishment of Christianity in the first century. He was the most prolific author of the New Testament, writing 13, perhaps 14, of the books in the New Testament, of the 27 books there. The Apostle Paul was also passionate about getting the Word of God out to the people of the world where, who, who hadn't heard. He wrote to the Romans in his letter and said this, he said, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. In other words, not in the places where Christ has been named. Those are the places I want to go. The places where folks haven't heard. It's the heartbeat of a missionary. And the Apostle Paul was probably the most extensively traveled and could be argued the most effective missionary out of all of the apostles. In today's way of speaking, we might call the Apostle Paul a mover and a shaker. 
He was a guy who got things moving and shook things up and got things done. People like that we often think of, they're often depicted and, and we often have experienced folks like that to be hard cases, hard drivers. People who are consumed with agendas and with goals and with objectives and with achievement. And in the process, they often run over people as they get things done. But that's never how things are to be done in the Lord's work. The work of ministry, the work of the church, the Lord's work is all about people. It's not about organizations or structures or buildings or goals or objectives or flowcharts or programs or any of those kinds of things. There, those things aren't necessarily bad, but that's not what ministry is about. The work of the Lord and ministry is all about people. The Apostle Paul clearly understood that. As we are in a study here in the book of 1 Thessalonians, if you haven't already, I encourage you to get a Bible out. There's one in front of you in the pew if you didn't bring one. But get a Bible out and find the little book of Thessalonians in the New Testament. We're in chapter 2, the end of chapter 2. And at the verses before us today, here from chapter 2, verse 17, and on into the beginning of chapter 3, we will get a little glimpse into the heart of this extraordinary man. And we'll see this morning that the Apostle Paul models for us the heart of a godly minister. You might be thinking already this morning if the message here is about a godly minister and the heart of a godly minister, I can maybe just afford to tune, you know, dial the re- hearing down a little bit. This is going to be just academic. It's about some guy back then. After all, I'm not an apostle. You might say, I'm not a preacher. Or you might say, I'm not a missionary. And so, to know what the heart of a minister is really doesn't apply to me. So, matter of fact, maybe I just won't tune down. Maybe I'll just tune out and go to sleep. If you really need to do that, that's okay. It won't bother me at all. As long as you don't snore. However, please understand that when we look at the, the work of Jesus, when we look at God's work, when we look at the work of ministry, when you look in the Scriptures, what you discover is it wasn't given just to apostles. It wasn't given just to pastors. It wasn't given just to missionaries. Jesus' work is given to all of us. Let me just take us to one passage that I'm sure you're probably familiar with. Let's just quickly look at this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. Let me just stop there for a second. If you're here this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, Understand this. He's saying everything became new. The moment you trusted in Jesus as your Savior, everything changed. You're a new person. And he says that through Jesus, God is reconciling us to Himself. Sin 
separated us from God. If you're here this morning and you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, understand this. The Bible says you are separated from God. And what awaits us as those who are separated from God, the Scripture says, is judgment because we are sinners. What we've earned through sin is death. But the good news is that God has made a way to reconcile us, to bring us back into right relationship with Him, and it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came as we celebrated already this morning to pay the penalty of our sin. All we need to do is receive the gift of salvation by trusting Jesus. And we are reconciled to Him. And so through Christ we've received the ministry, we've received reconciliation, we've been reconciled. And then, notice, He gave us, all of us who are believers in Jesus, this ministry of reconciliation. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have a ministry. That ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. He explains what he means. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got a ministry. You are a minister. Used to say years ago here at the chapel, uh, on the bulletin, at the bottom of the bulletin, it always have down there, you know, it has pastor, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and it have ministers, colon, the entire congregation. That's what we should be, every one of us. A minister of Jesus Christ, as, he, as Paul puts it here, an ambassador of Christ, a representative of His in this world. That is our mission it's appropriate that we're hitting this passage on the day when we put up the flags and we remember our missions outreach, our worldwide missions outreach. That is our mission out there and around us locally, the ambassadors of Jesus. So this morning, as we look at the heart of a minister, it's not an academic thing. It is very practical. You as a minister, you as an ambassador of Jesus, what should your heart be? The Apostle Paul here models for us this whole book we've, we've said. That's our theme in this study. It's all about models, examples, things for us to emulate as a church and here as a minister. Your minister of Jesus, what should your heart be like? How should you relate to people? Paul models for us here a deep compassion, a deep concern for people. And I want to see seven things that we see modeled for us here this morning in Paul's concern for people serve as a model for us to emulate as ministers of Jesus Christ. First thing, I pick it up in verse 17. We're just going to have to quickly run through this. Verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. The first thing I notice about Paul's concern for these folks is it is a genuine concern. You can almost hear the emotion as he writes, as you read through this passage. He's saying, guys, we were torn away from you. You recall the story as they were there in Thessalonica that uh, we won't do the whole story, but Paul had to leave in the middle of the night. The other believers said, for your safety, for the safety of, of all the folks here, you need to get out of Dodge. 
And they, he was escorted out of town by the believers, went on his way, and Paul says, we were torn from you. I love you guys. I, wanted to, I intended to stay there for a while, and we had to leave, and I hate it. It wasn't his choice. Now he's apart from them, and we, but he says that he's apart from them in person, not in heart. Distance ha- and, and separation hasn't cooled his, his compassion and his concern for them. He still has great desire to be with them personally again. Paul understood that people mattered. He genuinely cared for people and he's an example for us that if you and I are going to be effective in the ministry that Christ has given to you and to me, we need to have genuine care, genuine concern for people. I had a couple of seminary professors all those millennia ago back when I was in seminary who tried to instill in me this that little statement, people won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. A lot of truth in that. Paul continues, verse 18, but we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. And I notice that Paul's concern here for these folks is persistent. We wanted to come back, he says, again and again. doesn't tell us what happened, but apparently he tried several times to go back and every time realized it, it just can't happen. It's still too hot. Can't get in. The wanted posters are up with his picture on it. But so they can't get in there. Time and time he says he's tried, but they're frustrated. What I recognize in that is that relationships and ministry among people is difficult. If you try to build relationships with people so that you can minister to them, so that you can point them to Jesus Christ, what you will discover is there will be all kinds of barriers and roadblocks and problems. Sometimes those barriers are going to come from the outside. As Paul says here, it's Satan who hindered us. He reminds us that we have an enemy Satan who is at work and trying to stop and trying to thwart the spreading of the Gospel and to uproot and to discourage and demoralize and destroy new believers. Last week, up in the verses before this, you'll recall that Paul was saying that that he was describing how that opposition was happening exactly among the Thessalonians at that time, how it had happened before them with the churches in Judea, how it happened before them with Jesus Christ Himself, how it happened before them with the Old Testament prophets. Satan has always been in the business of trying to oppose and get in the way of the spread of the news, the the good news that God wants a relationship with people and that He has sent a Savior. Satan doesn't want you to have ministry relationships where you're going to point people to Jesus and he's going to work overtime to to frustrate those. Understand that. Sometimes the barriers come from the outside. Sometimes the barriers come from inside the relationships through distractions of busy schedules. That's one of the big problems in our day. Sometimes through disagreements and hurt feelings and those kind of things and relationships can get fractured. If you try to minister with people, expect problems. You ever notice that? If you ever, Any of you ever served in a church? Hopefully most of you. A lot of you are serving now. Have you ever noticed that even inside the church, church working with God's people, as you try to do ministry, 
You know what's one of the biggest frustrations? People. I've heard it said ministry would be easy if it wasn't for people. And it's true. You try to serve God and you're going to find that it can be incredibly frustrating because people. Should we expect that when you get a bunch of sinners together? You have problems. I remember back when I was thinking of going into ministry, I was back in college, and I remember my pastor one day saying, Keith, if you shepherd sheep, be prepared to step in a lot of sheep doo-doo. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> the point is though, whether it's from inside or outside, there's going to be frustration, there's going to be issues, there's going to be roadblocks, there's going to be problems, and the heart of concern for people is a persistent heart. It keeps trying. It keeps going back as the Apostle Paul here said, again and again and again he tries. Another thing, keep going. Verse 19, For what is our hope or our joy or our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Why would you keep trying if ministry is frustrating? If if the roadblocks are difficult, if the opposition is hard, if it brings affliction and suffering, why in the world would you keep going back? Why in the world does Paul keep moving into these places where he gets beaten, where he gets imprisoned, where he gets run out of town? Why does he do it? He says, because on that day, when our Lord Jesus returns, or on the day when we go home because our race is done before He returns, He says on that day we're going to stand before Jesus. And He says on that day, my joy, my, the crowning glory of my life is going to be when I see Jesus and I point to you. And I say, Jesus, You call me to be a witness. You call me to be an ambassador. Jesus, here they are. <laughs> These are the people I invested in. That's what he says here. What's our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? In the end, when life is over, when we stand before Jesus, the one great thing that we will have to show for our life is the people that we invested in. The people that we sought to bring to Jesus to nurture them as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus told us in Matthew 6 last week, He said, Matthew 6, lay up treasures in heaven. He said, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break in and steal. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves do not break in and steal. The Apostle Paul invested in people because it was an eternal concern. He was concerned about eternal things. But how do we lay up treasures on earth? I remember years ago, Jim Kane, former pastor here at the chapel, he had a great answer to that question. I've often quoted it. He'd say, how do you lay up treasures in heaven? He said, invest in the only two things in this world that will be there. 
the Word of God, and the souls of men. Dig through Scripture. Look and see what, in script, what does the Bible say is here today that we have, that's around us today in this world, that's going to be in heaven. And all I can find are two things. The Word of God, it says, will never pass away. It's eternal. And the souls of men. Every person on this world is going to spend an eternity in heaven or in hell. And if we want to lay up treasures in heaven, we ought to invest in those two things. The Word of God and the souls of men seeking to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ, taking the message of reconciliation to God, to those people. God has made a way to have a relationship with Him. But the only thing that we will have when we stand before Jesus to show for what our life has been worth is that which we've done for Christ. And the big job He's given us to do is this ministry of reconciliation. As Paul says, you're my joy, you're my crown. You're what, that's why I live. Moving on to the next chapter, verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul continues, he says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, because he's been separated from them, he's frustrated because he can't get up there, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the Gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith. Paul's concern for them, it's been frustrated because he can't get there, but he wants to do something and so what I see about Paul's concern here, it's a concern that sacrifices. Paul says, we could bear it no longer, and so we did something drastic. I was willing to be left alone here in Athens. Now, and, and he sends Timothy. And apparently Silas, he also sends, from what I can tell in Scripture, he also sent Silas on to another place. Paul is left alone. And most of us go, yeah, that's not good, but no big deal. Well, just remember a couple of things. First of all, Paul is part of a ministry team, and that's not an insignificant thing. You as a church have a, have a staff here, a ministry team that works among you. And uh, let me tell you, if we sent Pastor Aaron and Harley and Donna and Rob and, and uh, everybody, we sent them out saying, you know what, there's things that need to be done out there. We're sending you guys out for a few months. You'd find out very quickly just how important it is not to have your pastor here alone. <laughs> You'd discover how incompetent he is. You'd discover how little he can really do. And how what a great team it is, how valuable the team is. Paul is recognizing the difficulty of, of doing ministry without the team. He says, but it's worth the sacrifice to get somebody to you. More than that though, remember Paul here, he's coming to Athens. He had been kicked out of, he had to leave, they were kicked out of Philippi. They were kicked out of Thessalonica, they went to Berea, he had to leave Berea, he comes to Athens. Now he sends these guys off and Paul goes into Athens alone. Have you ever gone to a foreign place alone? It sometimes can be frightening. It's hard, it, it's big deal now, it was harder back then. First century, you don't have all the modern conveniences. You can't just call up a friend and get help. 
You don't have an ATM card. You don't have a checking account. You don't have all those resources. You're coming into town alone in a strange place. You don't know the routine. You don't know the culture. You don't know the stuff. You don't know how things work. You don't even know where anything is. He comes in alone. It's a lonely time. It could even be dangerous. It's a big deal, Paul says. He comes in alone. What I see from that is that, again, the heart of a minister sacrifices. Paul, and then we saw in chapter 2, they sacrificed their labor. They worked hard for the Thessalonians, so they were never a burden on them. Next week, we're going to see that he labors in prayer for these folks. The heart of a minister is concerned with the needs of others, not their own needs. If you're going to be effective in the ministry that Jesus has given you as His ambassadors, you need to be understand that it's going to cost. There's going to be sacrifice. You're going to have to give up your desires and your ambitions and your agendas and your preferences and you're going to have to set those aside in order that you might invest yourself in others and meet their needs. There's a cost to it. Ministry, you will discover, is terribly inconvenient. That is one of the great barriers that you and I face in being effective in the ministry Jesus has given us. Is being willing to be inconvenienced. Being willing to set aside our plans and our concerns. But that's the heart of an effective minister. Continuing, verse 2, we've already read it, but he says, We sent Timothy, just notice this little point, our brother and God's co-worker in the Gospel of Christ. I just want to notice very quickly that there's a the concern that Paul has is a humble concern. Note his humility. He doesn't say, hey guys, I can't come, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to send my subordinate. I can't be there personally, but I'm going to send my assistant. I'm going to send my understudy. You know, I can't be there, but I'm going to send you second best until I can get there in person. See what he says. He says, I'm sending Timothy, our brother. The Apostle Paul, young Timothy, and what he says is, I'm sending my equal. That's what brother is indicating here. My equal. And notice he doesn't say, we're, we're sending Timothy, our co-worker. Did you see that little phrase? God's co-worker. That's a promotion. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to be Keith's co-worker. That really is no status at all. God's co-worker? God's teammate? Hmm. Again, Paul is saying Timothy is I'm sending my best is his point. He's lifting Timothy up. My point in this is that Paul is humble. The person with a who with a heart of concern to serve others is a person of humility. And that's something worth noting in a day of celebrity pastors. There are no celebrities in God's ministry. 
Verse 2, continuing the last little bit and then moving on. I send Timothy to establish and exhort you in the faith so that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it's come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and your love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. The believers in Thessalonica, what this is saying, the believers in Thessalonica, remember Paul was left town for their good to help protect them, but when they left, the suffering, the affliction, the oppression, it did not stop. The opposition was still there. And Paul says, I had told you that it was still going to be coming. Just as was said earlier today, we can expect it. As Aaron was reading from Peter, we are called to suffering as followers of Jesus. Paul is aware of their suffering. He makes it clear here. He understands what's going on. He's concerned about their suffering. But did you notice what his great concern was about their suffering? Verse 2, I sent Timothy to establish and exhort you in the faith. Verse 3, I warned you that the suffering and the affliction would come. Verse 5, I'm dying to know. What about your faith? In the midst of all this, have you, have you held strong? Verse 6, Timothy arrived. I've got good news. He's got brought good news. You are standing firm. His great concern is about their spiritual well-being. That they're standing strong in the faith, that they don't fall. Notice he never once mentions even, how are you guys doing? Are you okay? How's your health? How's your, how's your, how's your finances? Do you have what you need? Are, are, did you lose your houses? Did you lose your stuff? Have you, have you, not one concern about, or one mention of their physical suffering, of their physical well-being, of their financial well-being. You see, it's good that we care for each other physically, financially, emotionally. Those things are good. That We care for one another in our difficulties. The Bible calls for us to help the suffering. It calls for us to, to care for the weak. It calls for us to minister to the widows and the orphans. It calls for us to bear one another's burdens. Far too often, those things become our focus and we stop there. Let us never forget that the greatest need that any and every person has is to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and to follow Him. That should always be our primary concern for others. It's not that physical needs don't matter. But our primary concern must always be spiritual needs. We'll see more of that next week as we look at Paul's prayer for them. So his concern for them was a spiritual concern. Lastly, verse 7, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. 
For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. These last verses to me are truly striking. Because what I see is that this concern that Paul has is not just genuine or persistent. It's not just about eternal things. It's not about just a sacrificial concern or a humble concern or a spiritual concern. It also is a joyful concern. Paul has talked about their struggles and their suffering only here in just a little passing reference does Paul let it be known that he is suffering as well. The Apostle Paul is under affliction and under oppression and under opposition and under suffering. And he says, here in the midst of our affliction and our suffering, you guys have brought us joy. The only reason he mentions his own suffering is he wants them to know, you guys just made my day. Paul is there in some circumstance of affliction and suffering. And in a moment when Timothy arrives with this report from these folks in Thessalonica, Paul is moved from the, you know, from the pit of affliction and he's transferred into the winner's circle of joy. We wonder what happened. His circumstances didn't change. But what has changed is that Paul has gotten a big reminder that it's worth it. Whatever Paul is going through here, he's saying it's minor, it's nothing compared to the fact that you guys have come to know Jesus and you're holding fast despite suffering, despite oppression, despite opposition, you guys are standing strong. And that just made my day. Because it just reminded me that whatever we're going through, it's worth it. The mission is being accomplished. I love this phrase from Paul there in verse 8 where he says, Now we truly live. We were living before, but it was hard. And now we get this word from you and man, we really are living. Circumstances haven't changed. His circumstances are still bad. But his attitude has changed. It's worth it. It's the same reason the Apostle John in his little letter, his third letter, he wrote this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. It's better news than you won the lottery. It's better news than, for the Apostle Paul, it's better news than you're getting out of jail today. Better news than you won't be beaten today. Paul says, I'd rather get this news and have my circumstances not change and have my circumstances change and just wonder, are you guys still making it? Are you still standing with Jesus? So are you looking for deep satisfaction and joy? The lesson here from Paul is pour yourself into others. Sacrifice to share Jesus with others. Sacrifice to encourage others and to help them to grow in Jesus. It's not always going to be easy. Frankly, sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to involve suffering. Sometimes it's going to involve frustration. Sometimes all kinds of problems. 
But in the end, not only are there eternal dividends, but there's a deep and abiding joy that comes from investing in people to point them to Jesus. In the nursing home where my mom was when she passed away this week, she's been there for several years. In that nursing home there in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, there are a whole lot of retired missionaries. The retired missionaries look the same as the other folks there in that unit. They're all sitting there just kind of hunched over in their wheelchairs and they're struggling. They've got all kinds of various physical things. You can't tell any difference. They all look this, you know, between those missionaries and not. And they're folks, these missionaries, they're folks whose names you've never heard and you never will here on earth. But I've had the blessing of hearing some of their stories. While their names aren't heard on earth, their names are going to be trumpeted in heaven because they are heroes. Some of these folks went off as young men and women to live in remote places among isolated peoples and they expended their lives living there, telling people about Jesus, translating a language and translating the Word of God into a language of these people. Was it worth it? Paul says, there's my crown, there's my joy in heaven. There's a big group of folks there waiting to welcome them. You hear that and you say, oh, that's really cool. And then you realize, oh, wait, I'm here in Lake St. Louis. And maybe you're sitting here saying, you know, I'm 60 years old. <laughs> Too late for me to go down into the wilds of wherever and invest myself in the lives of some people who have never heard. And I just say, we don't have to go to places like that to live significant lives. We don't have to go there to do the ministry of Jesus. He calls us to be ambassadors. Somebody needs to reach the people in the spheres where you live. Somebody needs to reach the people in your family. Someone needs to reach the people in your neighborhood. Someone needs to reach the folks at your workplace. The people in your school. Someone needs to reach the people at your barber shop, at your beauty salon, in your golf club, your bridge club, whatever. See, it's not that we have to go there. So we're invested in the mission. So we care enough to live like the Apostle Paul has modeled here as people of concern have genuine concern for people, persistent concern for people, an eternal concern for people, concern that sacrifices, a concern that is humble and that is concerned about spiritual needs. People need Jesus. And then what you'll discover is you've invested your life in a concern that brings great joy. Father, we needed to be reminded of this because reality is, every single one of us tends to get sidetracked with all the stuff that doesn't matter. 
And it's not that we don't care about people at all, but our our care is kind of limited to what's convenient and what we think of, and it's not our priority. And what this passage reminds us, as we see it modeled in the life of Paul, is it ought to be at the very forefront of who we are and how we live. Or may we be people of concern because You gave us a mission, a ministry that's all about people. Help us to live as ministers. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.